Hey ladies, welcome to WTF, Women Talking Frankly, a running conversation with your hosts, Kyle and Candace. And you, about issues facing women, such as health, hormones, our looks, our libido, life, and anything in between. We promise to dig deep and get into it each episode. Welcome. We're so glad you joined us today. Hi, ladies. We're back in the studio today. I'm here with Candace, and back by popular overwhelming demand, we brought back Andrea Nakayama, who is the CEO and founder of both the Functional Nutritional Lab and Functional Nutritional Alliance. She is an amazing source of information, and we had a previous podcast with her, and it was so well-received, we had to bring her back today. Um, She has brought forward um, this whole program that educates other providers, other people, to teach people all about nutrition and a whole different point of view. And again, that podcast was um, recorded another uh, previously so please go back to our archives for that one today however we're going to talk about um, how she approaches the system of the adrenal glands and back when I was in nursing school which was back in the 80s which is a long time ago and also in my nurse practitioner program back in the 90s we learned about all the different body systems and their different diseases we barely touched on adrenal health yet this has certainly been the buzzword for the past 20 plus years, and especially in the last decade. But first, I wanted to ask Andrea, what do the adrenals do? And welcome back, Andrea. And what they are (laughs) responsible for. And why, in your opinion, how how did we shift our awareness, not so much in the allopathic world, why did we shift to the adrenals? What happened in the world that suddenly said, people said, we need to look at the adrenals as a possible source of our disease state or our lack of energy? Mm, Well, the adrenals are pretty complex. I always like to help people find them on their body. So they sit above the kidneys. I always like to touch my adrenals, put my fists to my back when I'm talking about them, give them a little massage. So if we think about uh, the kidneys like a little baby wrapped in a sack, like when they come home from the hospital, if they were born in the hospital. Yeah, and there's that little swaddled, yes. And there's that little cap on the baby when they Ah, leave, right? That's that's the the adrenal. adrenal. Yeah, there's the adrenal. Right there, and right at your above your waist and your back, there you can give them a little massage, even as we're talking about them. Mm. And I, yeah, I always do that okay, every time I say adrenals. I'm like, hello, wake up. <laughs> yeah. um, and a lot of our stress hormones are um, not produced here, but uh, catapulted into their action here. Mm. So we always have these axes in our body that start in the brain. So we have the hypothalamus and the pituitary in the brain that activate the hormones in our adrenals. That's our HPA axis. I'm glad you defined that. We were going to ask you about that. Perfect. How about that? That that is uh, an important concept, the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. You'll see it used more and more often as the HPA axis. Yes. Thank you for carrying on and explain that. Our audience now knows what that means. HPA. HPA. Well, how it works is what we need to understand. Exactly. How does it work? Exactly. So the hypothalamus is, is, it's actually working in a cycle. So they're communicating with each other all the time. So when we don't have enough get up and go hormone coming from our adrenals, then our hypothalamus is going to get a signal to instigate the pituitary to uh, release more of the hormone that 
activates the adrenals to release their hormones. So it's this constant cycle that's going that's in a feedback loop feedback. in our body. The hypothalamus and, is kind of a way station. Or yeah. It's, it's, it's the mediator. The me- it's, yeah, it's kind of the, the, uh, the lighthouse telling yeah, the, the receiver and <laughs> yeah, the transmitter. Exactly, the receiver and the transmitter. And so it's really activating the correct hormones to activate other hormones throughout the body. And this is what's so interesting when we talk about hormones, because we often overlook the brain mm-hmm. and looking at somebody's history of concussion or being in an accident or playing sports like soccer or football or volleyball, where they're using their head, those things could impact our hormone production because there are hypothalamus or pituitary um, dysfunctions that aren't being addressed. Also, any inflammation in the brain, which can happen for a number of sources, a number of reasons for infl- from inflammation elsewhere in the body, particularly the gut. So always thinking about the health of the brain when we're thinking about the adrenals. However, I think our most common thinking about the adrenals has been more connected to stress and the increase of our awareness of stress in modern day society has Mm -hmm. brought us to this recognition that there are stress hormones and that we might want to be looking at them in uh, a health and wellness paradigm. I think that's great. And I know that for myself, having done a lot of testing through saliva on the cortisol levels over the years and actually seeing people's levels of, and I know Candace has done this as well, has meant, read many test results. We actually can see the change in people's cortisol uh, release throughout the, throughout the day when they've been so stressed out that their cortisol levels actually drop to the point where they just can't function anymore. But yet a lot of allopathic physicians or p- providers really don't believe in this. So... I just want to talk about that a little bit and how can we educate people? Because when I learned in school was either you had Addison's or Cushing's disease or your adrenals were fine. Right. You know, before we get into that, I just want to get back to the word stress and stressed out. And I think we, you know, when we we call the adrenals the the stress responders, cortisol is the stress hormone, we think of stress as a bad thing. We, I mean, the the biologic understanding or the physiologic understanding of stress needs to be fleshed out, I think, a bit. What, what would you, what's your take on yeah, the actual I meaning of stress? Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, stress is actually it's, a good thing. If we think about the concept of hormesis, this is where the body goes into a stress response and recovers. And that's basically what we're doing throughout the day. Like Mm -hmm. you were talking about, Kyle, we have a higher cortisol response in the morning. That's what actually wakes us up Mm -hmm. in the morning. It gets us up. And that's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. We need stress to live. We think think of stress as, it's only about stress, but we, you were mentioning it's stressful to eat, you know, there's stress around eating. Yes. There's stress around waking up. It's a biological response to exactly. what is happening to us externally or internally. Exactly. It's all Our about ability it. to respond to stress right. is where my favorite word is resilience. And yes. stress and resilience 
our, you know, partners because we need the stress and we need to be able to come back into that resilience place. And which is built in, really. It's built it should, in. It, right. If yeah. we look at our animals, like if you, I don't, I have a cat. I have a Siamese cat. Right. Yeah, right. They, so they sleep. They sleep. They and sleep. if they get into a stressful situation, like when my cat was a kitten and she got stuck in a tree. When she fi- we finally got her down from the tree, she slept for an entire day. We don't that's allow restor- ourselves. That's <laughs> and we don't. And that's the difference between, I actually read something recently, that we are the only species that deprives ourselves of sleep. Yes. So when we are stressed out, we don't allow ourselves to, our body to recover. Yes. And that's where we see the adrenals and the adrenal, um, what do we call hypo. I guess hypofunction. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's the difference we're talking about. I'm going to come back to the word functional, right? So there's a functional state of our adrenals and our stress hormones and our cortisol response, which is in keeping with the circadian rhythm. That's a functional Mm -hmm. place of stress when we are not able to manage the stressors. And that can be internal stress. It could be due to toxins or dysfunction in the body or inflammation. It could be the bills or the relationship or the workload. It can be too much exercise. Too much exercise. We think we're working out so well and yet we're not recovering. We're not recovering. It could be this pandemic that we lived through. Exactly. Residual stress, yeah. On top of the stress that we already had in our life. And as you exactly. were talking as a, in our last episode, which I think will be number 24, episode 24, people listened to that. We were talking so much about functional nutrition. The stress of um, a keto diet right. on mm-hmm. someone who doesn't have the gut power or the, you know, a, a, a gut that is not actually absorbing or assimilating nutrients. Yes. Or is, even a vegan diet. Yes. Is, you know, any kind of diet that's not appropriate for your body is yes. going to be a, a, a stress that's not, you know, you can't be resilient from. Yes. Mm-hmm. You, have to, you have to support the body in the best way possible. There, there's, um, you know, a very... Uh, the phrase adrenal fatigue goes around quite a bit. Yes. And I know Thomas Williams, who wrote that that um, dissertation, would you call it a dissertation on the HPA axis? And he talks about stress and our resi- and resilience and, and the whole process doesn't, you know, there's a whole page there that he's written sort of debunking the term adrenal fatigue. Yes. Um, I'd love to hear your your thoughts on that. Yeah. Because it is so much more than just the adrenals, isn't it? It is. And I think this goes back to the question of why are, why is it thought of as sort of voodoo medicine yes, exactly. to even think of the adrenals as an issue? And in part, I think it was because, A, we couldn't measure it. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a way beyond the testing that we all might do in our clinics to measure adrenal function unless it was a pathological problem, unless it was Cushing's or Cushing's Addison's, or Addison's yeah. right? Right. So there wasn't anything to look at. And we didn't understand the, the circadian connection. So that rise in the morning and that kind of ski slope down that happens response. during the day that we can now see in our testing. And I even have clients kind of map it for themselves. If you were to look at this ski slope, where does it feel like your energy is mm-hmm. during the day? Mm-hmm. And then what's happening at night for you? How does it feel like? What do you feel like when you wake or you're supposed to wake I've up? Had people in look the at morning. that graph and say, that's the story of my life. Exactly. Exactly. You know? you had exactly. To know this. You're almost yeah. like a psychic. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh-huh. And then I think 
think when we label it as adrenal fatigue, the adrenals aren't getting fatigued. There is a dysfunction somewhere in the body. And mm -hmm. so that's where I think the misnomer and kind of the uh, first, the the uh, celebration of adrenal fatigue, like we all got really yeah, excited, exactly. like it's adrenal fatigue. Yeah. And then it was like, it's not adrenal fatigue. And this is what happens in mm. modern healthcare. We kind of latch on to, you know, MTHFR, everyone needs a methylated B vitamin. Oh, no. And I want to talk no, about they don't. that. Let's not forget to talk about that. <laughs> yeah. But when you say it's something in the butt with, with adrenal fatigue, it's really something in that HPA axis. Exactly. Is it not? Exactly. Or elsewhere in the body that is not allowing the the whole system to, to come into that parasympathetic. Right. I mean, you're seeing me move. Other people can't yeah. see me do that. But we're in, when we're in a constant stress response, we're in a constant sympathetic mode. And that's not a healing place when we're searching, seeking, doing, and we're not sleeping like we were talking about with our animals. We have to come back into that parasympathetic state to be able to heal mm -hmm. any part of our body. And the adrenals are kind of an innocent bystander to a number of other factors and I would also bring it, so we talked about the brain, the HPA access, but for me, blood sugar is a huge component that impacts the adrenals. That makes sense. So you're, so you're um, voting for a different terminology than adrenal fatigue. I don't mind adrenal fatigue as long as we actually quantify what we're talking about. I think sure. it's gotten, you know, both that celebration and that uh, cutting down. And I think as long as we're saying we're looking at somebody's curve and it clearly looks like what we might call phase two or phase three adrenal fatigue. As long as we're explaining what that right. means and somebody doesn't then carry this label that their adrenals are fatigued. Well, I think because that's, it's not necessarily their right. adrenals that are fatigued. I think people really do, um, from my experience as a clinician, really appreciate when you explain to them that the cortisol levels are off and they see this now yes. and you call it adrenal fatigue. It's kind of an easy term for clients to understand. I think it's because one of the main symptoms is fatigue. Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, it just sort of... And you see the adrenals not pumping out the cortisol. So it, and, you know, you it, ask them, do you feel rested when you wake up in the morning? Yeah, or they feel exhausted. And they don't. And, and so, yeah. I mean, for me, I've used that terminology. and I, I get the whole semantical viewpoint of this, but it is an easy term to use. I, 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 I don't know, mind I, it. I think the awareness raising is good. Yes. It's, it's good to start really good. somewhere. Yes. And people, you know, if they... Just the fact that they're using the word adrenals yes, and exactly. learning what their adrenals are and that they're like little pyramid shapes that sit on top of the kidney. And isn't that important? These tiny, mighty, small, but mighty glands that yes. have so much, so much to do. And, you know, the, in the hormonal world, it's kind of like, you know, women in menopause are so dependent on adrenal production of hormones when yes. the ovaries kind of pack their bags. So, exactly. Yeah. And there's so many pieces to, I think of the adrenals sort of as, you know, when you see, and I've said this before on this show and I'm a broken record, but I see uh, so many low levels, you know, low and the opposite of the, where we're supposed to have the cortisol awakening response in the morning should be highest and yes. then gradually dropping mm -hmm. to the lowest point at night for sleep and 
relaxation. Instead, we're seeing low in the morning and high at night, the tired but wired. And people are always shocked. They'll think, or or if their levels are low, they'll think, well, I'm really glad my, you know, I thought my levels would be off the charts. Um, meanwhile, they're burned out. Because right. I'm, yeah. I'm so stressed and I work 12 hours a day and I drink all this coffee and I just can't help it. And I'm on my computer and I'm really happy to see my adrenals are, are at low levels. Well, no, yeah, that's where the <laughs> so concept, good. That's, so good. that's where you have to find the word, how to describe the concept. We don't want, so it's not as simple as adrenal fatigue. It's this whole, beyond that, it's this HPA axis that's underperforming. The right. adrenals are not, they're not performing yeah, hypo as... Hypo. Well, I think for myself, I... What how, I do you, always, how do you describe it? I always use the uh, analogy of a, like you have these great analogies, I use the analogy of a cell phone. Everybody has a cell phone. And if your cell phone doesn't have a battery, it's not going to work. Right. So I tell people, you, ch you charge your battery at night, and when you wake up, the battery should be fully charged. Yes. And by the time you go to sleep at night, your battery should be That's good. down yeah. low enough that you have to recharge it. And, and the adrenals need the same kind yes. of support. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So people get that, and then it's like, and how do you recharge your battery? You sleep. You eat well, you right. manage your stress. But I can't yeah. sleep. Right. Yeah, so, yeah. I think but that 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 curve is a really important thing for mm -hmm. people to see that this is the range that your adrenal should be in. And again, I I think of it as a ski slope. Like at the in the mm -hmm. morning, yep. you start at the top of the mountain, and through the day, you are ideally skiing down the mountain. And it's when it's low that you can fall asleep, mm -hmm. so that you can it can rise back up and wake you up in the right. morning. And I know for myself, I don't experience, you probably could tell, I don't experience low adrenal levels. And they're basically in line during the day. But they start to go up pretty drastically around 11 or 12 at night. So really? that means for me, if I don't go to sleep by 10, 1030, I will start to feel that energy spike that many women feel that extra boost of energy. Mm -hmm. I can't go to sleep because mm -hmm. that's when I get my best work done. That's the only yes. time, right? right? But what they're missing so is typical. that curve down where we can fall asleep. And ca I call it catching the wind. So if I don't catch my wave where my cortisol levels are at their lowest, it's harder to fall asleep and my sleep is less restful. So mm -hmm. for me, going back to one of the paradigms I talked about in our last podcast, that it is a non-negotiable for me to go to sleep by 10, 10.30. It is a non-negotiable because I know I won't catch my wave, I won't get my best sleep, and then I'm off the whole next day. And what we do when we're off is we caffeinate, we, we eat sugar, sugar. right? Yeah. So we do all these things and then we're in a cycle. So for me, seeing that curve and knowing about that self, that thing about myself helped me to create one of my own non-negotiables. So that sounds like you have used, uh, have you used saliva testing to measure your cortisol at different points uh, or do you use, well, we won't get into meth, but I mean, cortisol is meant to be or salivary testing yes. is meant to be the gold standard of cortisol. But yes. are you measuring at different times? Like you said, some of your patients, you let them chart and map their that levels. That might be the first thing. They wake up at three in the morning and yes. they take just the cortisol. The no, 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 no. No, they might just kind of map it like based on how they feel just as mm -hmm. a first mm -hmm. realm of testing. But I also do. So the, the testing I might use for hormones is uh, dry urine testing, but there is a salivary component. So yeah. the salivary component does help us look at the cortisol curve in the mm -hmm. same 
same way that uh, we might look at from another kind of test that looks at salivary hormones. Well, what if you have, let's say you're, I'm not accusing your boyfriend, but let's say your boyfriend <laughs> wants to stay up and watch Shit's Creek till right. 1130. Yeah. And you want to be there with him, but you know you're going to catch, you're, you're not going so to catch the wave, wave and you're right. going to get a, a what, what is it, a second wind yes. that will keep you from falling asleep and staying asleep. Is there any way to elongate that? I mean, can you, is, no, you know, when you, you know talk about body. resynchronizing your circadian rhythms, what if you decided you're going to get up at 5 a.m. and go out in the sunlight Yes, and start exposing yourself to sunlight so that you can build greater melatonin levels and sleep better earlier or later? Yeah, I mean, the truth is... Because you built up all this melatonin. We should be following the circadian clock. So mm-hmm. we should be following that circadian so rhythm. Stay up late. We shouldn't stay so up late. So that's really basic. Yeah, I mean, we just shouldn't stay up late. So for me and to answer that question, a, I'm fortunate that my boyfriend wouldn't want to stay up late and yeah. watch. So we're on a good cycle together there. But I think this is where we have to really weigh risk reward for mm-hmm, ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I'll just tell a simple story that was around alcohol for me and not, you know, no judgment around alcohol. But after my husband died, I would go out with a bunch of girlfriends, we'd have wine, I loved being a part of like a community and being able to hang out. And I would notice that the next day, as a single mom trying to achieve things in my life that I would feel a little, I'm going to say depressed, and I'm going to knock on wood on my head that I don't tend towards classical depression, but my energy level would be less than I want it to be the day after I drank the alcohol. Mm -hmm. And after a while, I had to weigh the risk reward, the cost benefit. Mm -hmm. What is worth it to me? And is there a way for me to enjoy the parts of that night out that I like without doing the thing that's making me feel bad. So can I hang out with the girlfriends and get a sparkling water with Mm -hmm. a lime in it and still opt in for the experience without having the alcohol that I'm paying for the next day? And that was worth it to me. So sometimes it is worth it to stay up with Mm. our partner and Mm -hmm. watch the show or our family members. And that is very nourishing if it's happening all the time and we're noticing that it takes a toll. That's where we, in taking ownership, have to step back and say, what is the risk reward here? And Mm -hmm. is there another way for me to get that benefit without the cost. Especially on a regular basis. Exactly. If it's, a, if it's a, like an isolated incident where you have this amazing weekend with your yes. girlfriends and you're up exactly. late. We all do that. Yeah, and, and it's nourishing. And it's fun. Yeah. And it's very memorable. So, but your major focus, we can talk about adrenals all day long, is, has been on nutrition. What do you think, or what do you know, I'm sure you know, is the relationship in how we eat and what we eat and how we stress our... our, our it, where we have good stress versus bad stress. Yes. So again, we want to build that resilience. And the way I like to teach into the adrenals or any hormone issues, and you two are the hormone experts, so you'll have to reflect on me how this sits with you. But I always look at a pyramid when it comes to the hormones and help people understand where they have more control. At the base of the pyramid is our blood sugar balance, then our insulin response, 
then our cortisol response and our adrenals, then mm-hmm. our thyroid, and then our sex hormones. So as we go up in the pyramid, we're in the more delicate kind of constellation of hormones that we might hit. But creating that foundation at the base, especially when it comes to diet and lifestyle modification does come back to where do we put the most stress on our bodies and blood sugar balance for me is where we can make a big Mm -hmm. difference in how our bodies are responding to stress. Okay. And the adrenals regulate that blood yes. sugar response. So which comes first? I try to <laughs> blood sugar because we have more control besides sleep and like taking herbs and all the things that we can do that are more targeted. Blood sugar is the way that we can make the biggest change that that not only changes how we see our diet and how our hormones are going to manifest, but so many other aspects of our life that are creating additional stressors and potentially infections in our bodies that can be stressors Mm -hmm. as well. So for me, blood sugar feels more within our, I'm going to use the word control, even though it's not easy. It's not like... No. Manage your blood sugar. It's work to figure out what works for each of us, but it is something we can be doing each and every day. And for me, as you both know, sleep is another non-negotiable, and that's another way I think that is often overlooked in mm-hmm. how we're addressing our adrenals. And how do you help people understand um, how to control their sugar? What are some of the basic tenets Yeah, what of that? would you say are the the key, the, the clinical pearls on yeah. balancing blood sugar, keeping so it balanced. take away, I try to remind people to think through a lens of fat, fiber, protein. Right. Everything you eat and every time you eat, understanding what's good fat, what's good fiber, what's good protein, that there might be some lessons in there. But every time you eat, saying, do I have fat, do I have fiber, do I have protein? At every meal. Every meal, every snack. Every mm-hmm. single time oh, you're like consuming that. food, fat, fiber, protein, then we might go that extra distance of uh, measuring the blood sugar. So I used to teach a program called Boss. You're not the boss of me controlling your blood sugar so that it doesn't control you. Mm -hmm, I like that. I know. I wish I still taught that class. But that in that class, people had the option to measure their blood sugar with a simple finger pinprick. And I know... We've been talking a little bit today off the mic about continuous glucose monitors, which are much more easily and readily available now. But being able to see our blood sugar response, just like seeing our adrenal response, it's, like biofeedback. it's so illuminating. Yeah, sure. And a lot of times people think, oh, I'm hypoglycemic because I don't have energy. And really, they're not hypoglycemic. Their levels are not low, but they're not taking in the blood sugar. There might be an insulin response that could be supported. So knowing where the dysfunction may be helps us to reset the story and actually bring in the appropriate um, interventions to help that person regulate their blood sugar. So if somebody says to you, I feel like I have low blood sugar, and in fact, it's normal... 
at that point, you're not going to test their insulin levels, but you're going to assume that's probably what's going on. Is that what I'm hearing? Well, there are times, certainly, for doing a blood test with a glucose, a hemoglobin A1C, right. and an insulin response. We definitely want to see that if we've gotten to that point. But first and foremost, I do like to have people measuring to see what is their up and their down. And with blood sugar, we like to see peaks and valleys. There's always going to be a peak and a valley. We don't want to see mountains and ditches. Right. So it's really understanding how is your blood sugar responding to the food you eat. And there's a lot of bioindividuality around blood sugar. There's more research around that these days, particularly coming out of Israel. There were some great studies, I think, in like 2016, 2018 arena, how we each respond differently to different foods. We can't just rely on glycemic mm. indexes or loads because you may re respond to French fries negatively and I may respond to them positive. I don't, but... <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so really being able to see your individualized response to the foods you're eating and be able to course correct. So I'm not necessarily saying there's a pathological insulin issue, but mm -hmm. I might say, oh, look, we can get your blood sugars into your uh, cells more readily. And how do we do that even by lowering everything, by having a lower continuum? So mm -hmm. not those mountains and ditches, uh, but more... Tighter range. Yeah, tighter range, mm -hmm. a tighter up and down. And that ultimately supports the adrenal glands and the production sure. of cortisol, those swings Absolutely. that we have with blood sugar are impacting our stress response. And okay. there's so much about lifestyle around that, eating yes. on the run, yes. skipping breakfast, intermittent fasting may be great for some people, but exactly. not. Exactly. Such uh, a I good mean, point. So what, true. What's your, what's your take on that? You know, you hear about intermittent fasting being great for improving insulin sensitivity, really, for everyone? Or Maybe not. Or some people are grazers. I mean, do you have an opinion on that? It depends, again, How? where they are and what's going on in their body. And I think it's another place where people, especially women, force ourselves into what is the current trend, not realizing we're putting extra stress on our bodies. And intermittent fasting can be emotionally stressful, and mm -hmm. it can be physiologically stressful if you have blood sugar issues. So if you're having mm -hmm. blood sugar swings, and you force yourself into a low blood sugar state, and I don't just mean hypoglycemia, I mean low blood sugar for you, that is continual, you're out of homeostasis, you're out of your balance, and you're in a stress response. You're going to have a harder time sleeping, you're going to wake up in the middle of the night. When it comes to intermittent fasting, I'm a fan of the research, but we have to then take the research and think about where it's appropriate the for the individual. Sure. Yeah. And I think of it as healing versus idealing. So mm -hmm. oftentimes we skip to the idealing, cool. right? And sometimes we have to be in a healing state. I know for myself, 12 to 14 hours of fasting is easy now. It wasn't when I was experiencing major adrenal issues. Mm -hmm. But if I try to push it to 16 hours, I'm then forcing myself into a stress response where my body's fighting with my brain and I'm in this place of what I should be doing that becomes very stressful. So you do practice intermittent fasting yourself? I don't even for call it, like, it's kind of my natural that's state. That's how you, okay. Right. Yeah, right. and I've yeah. actually heard for women it is hard to go to 16 hours. 16 I've heard is 12 hard. to 14 is more likely. 
I think women in general are more sensitive to blood sugar fluctuations. Yes. Don't you think so? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Especially during different cycles of our life where the hormones are all feeding each other Mm -hmm. and the hypothalamus pituitary is having to work extra hard to get other parts of our bodies to produce their hormones as well. So when you have somebody, I know this is going to be sort of simplistic, but when you have somebody that you see... um, and you have diagnosed them with an adrenal uh, issue or fatigue, we'll call it. Are there any supplements that you might put them on now that you've, if you've established that they have good gut health and, they, and you just want to give them something simple to take home with? Yeah. Yeah, definitely beyond the blood sugar balance and the gut function and making sure that all the pieces of the puzzle, which often are not in place. So I'm just going to say there's often a lot of work to do there before we skip to the ashwagandha and rhodiola. But I do like ashwagandha and rhodiola as herbs that can be supportive for um, our stress response and for the adaptogenic herbs. Yeah, adaptogenic. I do like maca. So I like the adaptogenic herbs, but it really is individualized. If you're drinking caffeine and not sleeping and on your computer at night and eating in the car, then and not your B vitamins are deficient. And yeah, I mean, there's so many other for me, like baseline support that we need to bring in. But I myself keep my ashwagandha and rhodiola nearby so that if I'm having extra stressful times, I can be going, I can be supporting myself. I know I find that L-tyrosine for me is also very helpful for a boost of energy during the day if I don't want to have caffeine. Right. It's wonderful. Yeah. yeah. And I'm a matcha tea drinker, which is good for our our, uh, other hormones as well, as long as you can respond to caffeine. Okay. Yeah. Matcha is great. Yeah. And it's full of antioxidants. Yes. Yeah, it's great stuff. So so one of the things that we hear a lot about in relation to propping up the adrenals or supporting them is B vitamins. Um, mm-hmm. And you were mentioning, uh, you know, and a lot of people don't, don't take them. And I don't think that it's that easy to get them in the diet. I mean, it'd be great if you're eating tablespoonfuls of nutritional yeast and wheat germ, et cetera. Um, but how many people get enough dark green leafy vegetables and all of that? So people supplement. <laughs> <Kyle does. laughs> I, I got a lot yesterday. I love Me dark too. Green I mean, vegetables. and that's you know, but still the love the numbers show terrible. No, right. Less than twenty four percent is it of Americans get enough fruits and vegetables yes. in a day. But um, so the bees, from my understanding, they're easily they're hard to get yes. in the diet if you're not eating a really well balanced, clean diet and clean by we mean really clean. And then, um, so they're easily depleted by heightened periods of stress, prolonged stress, um, good stress, bad stress, uh, the blood sugar issues, um, not getting enough sleep, all of these things deplete the bees, alcohol, big time. Um, so they can be helpful. And most people I talk to that I suggest bees to, especially when their adrenals appear to be low and they're exhausted and they have all those symptoms, uh, they always feel better. Um, and within that group of people that feel better are the people who I who have decided or have been told they are MTHFR. They have the MTHFR polymorphism. 
defect. Yes. There's right. an enzyme. Yes. That is not, tell us more about it's that. And what, I mean, it's, it's another yeah. one of those buzz things yeah. now. It seems like everybody has this defect. Right. And going, everybody needs methylated B or not. Say, when you talk about B, <laughs> I was going to say with, with the adrenals, I often had people take high levels of pantothenic acid, which is B5, yeah. and pyridoxin, which is B6. Yes, and those and two I found in particular. That those given throughout the day can make people have a lot more energy, yes. especially when they're trying to heal their situation. Yeah. yeah, there's so much to the the conversation around the B vitamins and uh, it's definitely one of my signature nutrients. So, I have certain nutrients that I am always looking for somebody to be uh, sufficient in. Yeah, their vitamin levels. D's, their essential fats, probiotics are a go-to for me and those B vitamins and magnesium because it's so mm. deficient. And magnesium and B6 are such a beautiful sleep combo. Mm-hmm. So, I like B6 at nighttime. It's the only B vitamin I look at at nighttime. And there's a lot when we're looking at the liver that can indicate in just a regular um, metabolic panel that can indicate a need for that combo too, which is lovely. So the B vitamins are super critical for our brain and for our liver. Mm -hmm. And we did, as we started to map the genome and understand more about these polymorphisms, which aren't necessarily defects, right? We all have these uh, polymorphisms in our genome. So there is the makeup of the protein in the gene. And there are these little differences that we all have in how that... that And that's uh, the polymorphism. That's the polymorphism that's just, yeah. in that um, it might even be in one organ system. So it could be that we have that uh, polymorphism in our genes, but it only expresses as, as something negative in one organ system in our body oh, because of the way that that enzyme or that protein is used. So the MTHFR, when it was discovered, it was like half the population has it, and this is a big deal, and so we can't use folic acid, and we can't use folate. It's, an, it's supposedly an inability to metabolize, absor- metabolize the folate. Yeah. yeah. Is it to absorb and metabolize or simply to metabolize? So you have to take a special kind, don't you? Methylated? You have to take a methylated so that it can be absor- absorbed and metabolized. It can be utilized. Do you think this utilized. is an epigenetic thing? We had talked about that in I part do, one. I do, and I just need to say, I mean, I need to say two things. One is we also get B vitamins from our from our grains. And oh, a lot of yeah. us are eating, low, I don't eat a lot of grains. And oh, so interesting. there's mm-hmm. interesting places where when we eat diets that have limitations, we can introduce deficiencies. So Mm -hmm. in the last podcast, we talked about that tier two deficiency to sufficiency. The next spectrum there is toxicity. So deficiency, sufficiency, toxicity. We can be introducing deficiencies when we eat these limited diets, good or bad. I'm not judging, but something we need to be aware of. So grains are a good source, like millet and quinoa that we were talking about, great sources of B vitamins. But a lot of grains have gluten in them, which got such bad press exactly. for such a long time so that a lot of people have stopped millet eating Millet doesn't, grains. quinoa doesn't, doesn't. Yeah. Buckwheat teff, doesn't. amaranth, buckwheat. buckwheat. Is great. Right. Yeah. Question, since we're talking about gluten, what do you think of like the einkorn 
on corn grain? Do you know about that? The ancient yeah, wheat? I still, for as somebody with an autoimmune condition, you don't go near it. yeah, I don't go near it. Okay, but I want to get back to the yeah. methylation yeah, yeah. because sure. we got really focused, kind of like we were talking about with adrenal fatigue and how it gets into yeah. the limelight. I mean, there's a lot of things like this, like ketogenic, intermittent fasting, SIBO becomes parasites. Like everyone yeah. wants to right, talk right. about these things. It's never one thing. And MTHFR is only one of the polymorphisms that can happen in our methylation pathways. Ah. And our methylation pathway is in our liver. We have five different pathways that help us metabolize things that we need to utilize or excrete. Mm -hmm. And there are different there are different polymorphisms where somebody maybe doesn't do well with a methylated version of a B vitamin. Oh, so B vitamins are Ugh. tricky, wow. but we have to try because they're so necessary. So I'm not fearful of recommending a methylated B vitamin and seeing how somebody does with it. I do usually start with a methylated version of the B vitamin. And then if they don't do well, that's usually dizziness or nausea. So just paying attention, raising your hand, checking if it's the dosing or if there's other liver issues that we, we might want to um, look at. I don't do well with a methylated version, but I didn't know I didn't do. I don't have the symptoms, but I did do what genetic testing. Just that dizziness, dizziness nausea. That, People yeah. will usually say, like, I can't take that. Like, they kind of know But that's right the same, away. Those are the same symptoms when people have problems taking vitamin B in general. It, it, that's where I think a lot of these things take that more holistic, we can't self-diagnose. So I'm always really mm. careful about mm -hmm. giving recommendations right. in a conversation like this because they're not individualized. Okay. And B vitamins, I'm, I just want to say how important they are and how tricky they can be. And the, I have two podcasts with a functional genomics doctor wow. on methylation, where he talks about it's not just the MTHFR. So we'll have to refer Who's, our, our listeners to that podcast. Yes. Who's like the doctor you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, his name is Dr. Mansoor Muhammad, and we did three like episodes. Yeah. We did two on methylation and one on folate. So if anybody wants to geek out on... So we'll refer people, because that yeah. sounds like it's a bigger conversation. It's a that big was, conversation. Just a tiny question, just to reveal my ignorance, but what if people just... So the, the problem with MTHFR is not being able to metabolize the folic acid. What if the, if the bee just has a folate... Still, it's still an issue. It's still, it still an can't issue? be. Yeah, it still can't oh. be utilized. So okay. it's not just the folic acid; it's all folate. Uh huh. Yeah. So it's complicated, and there's other there's other issues with methylation that are now kind of mm -hmm. coming to the surface now that we all went to the fifty percent of the population has this. Wow. Do you think that's accurate? I think 50% of the population probably does have an MTHFR, but that mm. doesn't mean they only have an MTHFR or right. that their MTHFR is expressed. And as you said, Candace, this comes back to the epigenetics okay. and whether we don't know. That's why I think of genetic testing as wallpaper. Like we don't know whether those SNPs, those polymorphisms are expressed or not. We just know you have them. Makes sense. We can't necessarily identify which no. and where they would 
activate. And if you really look at genomics, there's no way all the ones you have could be activated at the same time because they would be telling you different information. They'd be telling you, you need this nutrient, you don't need that nutrient. So it really is just kind of a backdrop for us as clinicians of, oh, yeah, I know that that could be going on for Mm -hmm. you. And that's where, you know, the realm of functional genomics is really interesting because it kind of brings it down and brings us back to those epigenetic factors. As a functional nutritionist, would would you prefer to see people eating properly and getting all, do you believe it's possible to get all your nutrients from the foods we eat? Is that possible in today's world? It's tricky. With our abundant you mean no toxins, et cetera. <laughs> I mean, no. Well, you know, every now and then you, you see these articles, supplements don't work. Right. And, and, and then, of course, there are so many of us that maybe aren't absorbing them. People are taking 20, 30 things a day. Yes. How could they possibly be absorbing them? No, I Absolutely. Know. You, know, you have to question the efficacy and of these. And it does come back to digestion and inflammation yeah. and all the other things going on in the body. So that can be a the digestion too. Exactly. Exactly. And the digestion really needs to be shored up for us to even be having a conversation about food. You have to talk about the receptacle Mm -hmm. into which the food is going. And I think those supplements, the cost of the supplements, the taking of the supplements, if we go back to the concept of stress and that sympathetic mode, I think that there's a lot of that chasing that's going on. Mm -hmm. It's for the quick fix. How do we actually come back into the parasympathetic, the sleep, the rest, the digest. When I say sympathetic and parasympathetic, parasympathetic is rest and digest. That's part of how we heal. The sympathetic is that fight or flight. If we're talking about the adrenals and we're constantly in a fight or flight, whether it's life circumstances or what our body is doing or what we're seeking in terms of healing, it's very tricky so, you know, I speaking of podcasts, one of my favorite podcasts that we've done on my on my podcast, The 15 Minute Matrix, is on the sympathetic nervous system with Alex Howard and really speaking into how the body cannot heal in a sympathetic state. No, I love this. It's, and mm. I love the fact that as a nutritionist that you're really focusing on the world beyond the nutrition. It's really coming back to if we cannot learn to rest and digest, we will never heal. No. And that's so important. And to your point, Candace, we can eat the best diet ever, but if we're not practicing what you're saying, mm-hmm. rest, relaxation, and a full, balanced life, we're never going to have the ability to digest and absorb all these nutrients or supplements. Yes, exactly. So I think that's so, it's so big. It's, it's not just what you eat, how much you eat, how often you eat, but what is your life like? Yes, it's yes. really a paradigm shift for people when really we talk is. about wellness. It's a, it's a shift from prevention to, you know, I mean, from, from treatment and illness to, to well, we're in an illness yes. mode, we're yeah. model. We're not in, you know, we talk about wellness all the time, but it, it still is kind of couched in that idea of, well, what can we do to get to that place? What right. can I take? What can I, yeah. not what do I have to change about right. me exactly. or my habits? Well, like think about That's how too many hard. That's say, too boring. I can't lose weight. I can't lose weight. I can't lose weight. Well, you people can't don't lose weight he- and you're always stressed out. Right. And you're not maybe absorbing the right food. You're, it's, it's, it's amazing. This is, it's a huge paradigm shift. Yes. And I think this is where when we talk about the adrenals, where it's a piece of the puzzle, but piece when it gets isolated as its own thing and let's treat your adrenals, right. but we're you. not 
treating or recognizing the adrenals as part of an entire system. Again, we're bypassing the reality or like you said, the wellness paradigm that we could be Mm -hmm. inviting. And it's, it's work. I don't know if you're familiar with the work of Dr. Ben Lynch. He does a lot on MTHFR. He wrote the book Dirty Genes also on the podcast a couple times, but he says like health is health is a four letter word work. Uh-huh. I love it. I love yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. And so really, even if we look at these people who look at the genes, they're bringing us back to what we were talking about with the epigenetics, the diet and lifestyle modification, and the adrenals, again, are just a part of the paradigm that we're, uh, th- that we're trying to work with, and we don't want to look at them in isolation. And to your point, though, the work, I think, becomes easier as you start to feel better and you yes. realize the changes that you're making and you're eating whole foods, like Michael Pollan says, yes. eat food, not too much, mostly plants. I think that the more that you find that you're getting these gains, these rewards by eating and changing your diet or changing your exercise program or, or sleeping better, you wake up one day and you think, wow, I don't really miss that old stuff. Right. I like this new lifestyle. Yeah, and I think purpose mm-hmm. is a huge part of what also motivates us because if we're looking to do it because we want something simple, I want to feel better. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be tired. But if we go deeper into our own inquiry of, for ourselves as patients, because we all are, but mm-hmm. also as clinicians, what will not being tired mean to you? What will happen in your life if you're not tired? And it goes back Mm -hmm. to that risk reward I was talking about with the alcohol, with the friends. There was more I wanted in my life than that moment of drinking that alcohol. I wanted to do the work I do. I wanted to make a difference. I, I There was something bigger than me calling me forward. And so a lot of times we're in our own way. And I don't mean that to blame anybody. Health can be complicated. But really, when we go deeper to what do I really want my life to be about? What am I really hoping for? What's my real purpose? It's bigger than us. And the work is minor. Like it's just a little roadblock that's mm-hmm. in our way and we make it a bigger roadblock because we're attached to the meaning of that activity or that habit. That's yeah. great. I think we're at a moment too post COVID. Well, we're not post COVID really, but no. I mean, we're, you know, we're, we're trying to move past it, but in this sort of interim of, um, you know, entering this, this new phase of existence, I think we're all much more aware of, uh, you, you know, our, as I was reading this quote, the objects of our daily neglect, we're paying more attention to yes. our health. And this is a good time that we had a lot of time to be here now and to focus <laughs> on us and <laughs> contemplate our navel. But I think people have really learned a lot and, and spent more time deciding and thinking about who what who do I want to be in the next chapter? You know, mm-hmm. and there's something about the And what's important to me. And what's important yes. to me yes. and how do I want to feel and how close did I come to being really, you know, to, to being sick, getting COVID. Yes. You know, I, I'm yep. gonna greet a friend uh, tomorrow who and I feel like we're gonna cry because we both made it through COVID yeah. and we're in our seventies and it was scary. 
it was, you know, it just felt very like a dispensable person, you yeah. know, when you're in your 70s. Nobody's going to help you necessarily, but it's sort of like, well, I made it now. So what what changes do I want to make? How much deeper do I want to get into this health span, this this time of existence that is healthy? I don't yes. really care about how many years I live. Yeah. I just want to live them in health. Yes. And with produ- and with purpose. Yeah. And with purpose. I think that's and, what you're saying. And what you're your talking point. about, this deeper, this is a very deep, a very profound look at health and how to approach it. That's gorgeous, really. Yeah. So thank you. I think it's great. For coming here and opening our eyes and helping us think beyond just the basics. I think that's, I think it's been a great conversation. Yeah. I've learned so much from you, Andrea, over thank the years. You. Me it's too. It's been Me amazing too. to spend this time with you. And we're going to bring you back because we have so much more to talk about. But I think, <laughs> in fairness, it's time to let you go so that you can restore and refresh your, yourself and get thank some sleep you. tonight. <laughs> thank you. So thanks again. And, and um, what is one of our 10 essential truths? Balance is attainable. Mm. It's also work. It is work. <laughs> so thank so, you. Thank Andrea. you. Thank you both so much. So much fun to spend time with you. Yeah. Until we see you again. Yes. Well, here we are at the end of this WTF, Woman Talking Frankly, podcast episode. In signing off, we want you to remember that what you are feeling is not all in your head. And that you have so many options to choose from to get you back to balanced living. Until next time, be well. And remember, if you want a great life, you need to ask great questions. Be courageous. Ask for what you need. With love, Kyle and Candace. Our website is womentalkingfrankly.com, where you can find all of our episodes, check out the show notes for resources, articles, and remedies, and where you can also feel free to email us with any questions, a hormone story, anything you'd like us to share with our listeners. Women Talking Frankly, WTF, is produced by Dan Rigger of Medicine Whistle Studios in his lovely Southeast Portland, Oregon studio. We want to thank our webmaster and dear friend, Deb Hollister of Pure and Simple Graphic Design. We also want to give a shout out to all of our family, friends, and patients for all of their support and encouragement to start this podcast. We are your hosts, Kyle McAvoy and Candace Birch.